You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Coming up on episode 23 of Off Air with Joe and Oral. Our guest is Dodger catcher Will Smith, who takes us through his baseball upbringing. He dives into his philosophy this season at the plate. Incredible underlying numbers that he's been putting up all season, and those are starting to turn into real results. And he tells us about time that he got in the most trouble as a kid. And then, of course, Dave Roberts, the skipper, is with us, and he talks about teaching his daughter to drive, got her license in a car, and also about how he's going to shift his managerial strategies after the Colorado series for those last couple series going into the playoffs. We've got all that and more coming up on Off Air. Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Shield of California, Postmates, SoCal Honda, and Bank of America. Blue is honest. Blue is strong. Blue doesn't divide. Blue embraces. Blue doesn't give up. Blue is courageous. Blue is the color of the sky we're all reaching for. Blue Shield is opportunity. Blue Shield is choice. Blue Shield is tomorrow. Blue Shield is healthcare coverage that covers more people. When it's time to choose, choose Blue Shield of California. From Dodger dogs to garlic fries, you can get a taste of the Dodger Stadium experience delivered on demand right to your home through Dodger's Home Plates, exclusively available through the Postmates app. You can still enjoy your favorite Dodger Stadium dishes while you cheer on the team from home. As a special offer to our listeners, be sure to use the promo code OFFAIR at checkout to get a free Dodger dog with your order. The helpful SoCal Honda people have been stepping up to the plate with their random acts of helpfulness. Recently, they've been helping SoCal residents affected by the pandemic pay their rent and also volunteering at food banks to help feed the community. But the helpful Honda people aren't the only ones stepping up to the plate. The Dodgers are once again one of the best teams in the league and are a favorite to win their first World Series since 1988. SoCal Honda has been helping the Los Angeles Dodgers Foundation at their Dodger Day drive through events throughout the summer, and together they're working to help thousands of youth and families. And they can help you, too, with great deals on award-winning Hondas. To check out their deals, stop by your nearest Honda dealer or visit SoCalHondaDealers.com. And to request your own random act of helpfulness, follow the SoCal Honda Dealers on Facebook. A setback? Well, that's just a comeback you haven't met yet. While the season may look different, let's rally to support our team and a great cause. As the official bank of Major League Baseball and the Los Angeles Dodgers, Bank of America is launching a Let's Rally campaign and donating $10,000 to Boys and Girls Clubs of America in each late-inning comeback to win the game, up to $1 million as part of this effort to make a difference in local communities. Bank of America has partnered with the Dodgers, Ace Walker Bueller, an MLB player from each team to create a unique collection of 30 t-shirts. For each t-shirt purchased, Bank of America will donate $7 to the Boys and Girls Club of America, up to $200,000. At a time when our country faces its own comeback, Bank of America is excited to use its partnership with Major League Baseball and the Boys and Girls Club of America to give fans something positive to rally around. Learn more at MLB.com slash Bank of America Let's Rally. It's episode 23 of Off Air with Joe and Oral, and our guest this week is Dodger catcher Will Smith. We've got him and plenty more coming up on Off Air. Hit it, Frankie.
I often find uh, find that one of the best ways to get to know guys is to find out what they were like in high school. What was Will Smith high school Will Smith like? Oh man, <laughs> um, I don't even know. I was you know pretty quiet kid, good kid, didn't get really didn't really get in trouble much. Um, you know, I was a hard worker, whether it came to school, sports, um, kind of anything. I was always working hard, but uh, that's just kind of how I was raised. Uh, how my parents, person my parents raised me to be was just, you know, good kid that, you know, works hard and kind of goes about his business. Strict parents? Uh, not strict, but high expectations. Um, you know, they're always telling me, to, you know, try my best, do my best, um, you know, put, put forth the best effort I can and kind of whatever happens from there happens, but, you know, never give up and just keep going at it. You went to the same school, small school, right from kindergarten through 12th grade and your mom worked in that school. So you didn't have any choice, but to behave, right? You couldn't really get out of line. (laughs) If I ever got in trouble, she found out real quick. (laughs) Did you ever get in trouble? What, like, what is the biggest biggest thing you ever got in trouble for i don't know i remember getting in trouble in like first or second grade for cheating on a spelling test and yeah i learned real quick that i was that was not gonna fly (laughs) do you remember the punishment was it like no baseball that night or no baseball for a week or i I really don't remember honestly (laughs) Uh, but i definitely learned my lesson that's for that's for sure uh what was your method method for what cheating. for, the, for the, the cheating on the spelling <laughs> test yeah i don't know i think i was probably copying some kid next to me or something yeah it happens. they're smart so how about this fifth grade my aunt was my teacher and i tried to like write my dad's signature on a report card to where I had to show him I got a grade that, that was not good and your parent had to sign it and bring back this report or whatever. So I tried to do my dad's signature, but I didn't like it the first couple times. So I erased it four or five times. Very clearly, somebody had messed with it. And my <laughs> aunt was the teacher. That didn't end well for me either. Uh, so your second grade thing, don't feel too bad about it. When did you start dreaming of being a big leaguer? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I always... When I was young, it came down to baseball and golf were like the two sports and obviously like basketball um, were probably three sports. You know, you always any young kid wants to play an NBA, MLB or, you know, on PGA Tour. Um, You know, Little League, I was always definitely a standout player. Um, You know, they get your confidence high and, you know, you can kind of tell as a young kid that you're better than the peers around you. But you know, my dad was always there to keep me humble. He's always, you know, telling me to get the big head, you know, we'll have a problem. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think probably late in Little League was when I really wanted to be pursue baseball. And I think that was more like a play a college baseball level yeah. where it goes from there. Um, obviously, you know, you want to play in the MLB, but I think probably late in Little League, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old is when I really – decided in my mind that that was what I wanted to do um, and I was going to pursue it. Was there ever a point in your amateur career that you felt like you weren't one of the top guys? Like when you changed, you know, age levels one time, maybe and the field got bigger or anything? 
Not really. So going to that small private school um, in seventh grade, I was actually able to play on the varsity team. So, yeah, I was a little outmatched. I was smaller than, you know, an 18-year-old senior. Um, but I was still able to compete a little bit. Um, started most games for us, uh, put up decent numbers for what you would expect a, you know, a 13-year-old kid to do. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think that really made me grow as a player and kind of figure out ways to help a team win because I was undersized, smaller, couldn't throw as hard, so on, so on. Um, and I think coming back my eighth grade year, uh, I was one of the better high school players in our area. Um, and I think that that first year in seventh grade really, you know, helped me really excel. What was that like first few times, though? Because you pitched as a seventh grader, right? Pitching against dudes that are shaving. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, there were a couple bad outings. Uh, <laughs> One time in uh, Lexington, uh, I was tipping pitches, and yeah, balls were flying. So I don't know I went, but I was giving up home run left and right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, what is it that drew you to catching ultimately? Um, you know, I, my dad always made, was my coach in uh, little league. Uh, he made sure myself and all of my teammates played, you know, every position. Um, I would play the outfield, infield catch a little bit, pitch a little bit. And that was, that was the same for every teammate of mine, you know, growing up in Little League. Everyone got to play everywhere. And that was kind of his philosophy was, you know, just learn the game. So I think catching always kind of came naturally in Little League. I was always, you know, I liked throwing guys out a second if they stole. Um, and then it got to high school. I didn't do it much because I was, you know, pitching and mainly playing infield to kind of save my arm and didn't want to, they didn't want me to catch. But, uh, yeah, I got to college as a freshman, and they had seen me catch a little in summer ball. I catch a game here or there. Um, so they they recruited me as an infielder and said, hey, we're going to try you out as a catcher when you get when you get on campus and kind of see how it goes. Um, so, you know, I show up as a freshman. There's three senior catchers in front of me, and it's kind of a way for me to get on the field that year because they need someone ready the next year. And it was kind of a way for me to also – kind of get some playing time the next couple of years because that was going to be an open spot. And, you know, going to a big time program as a freshman, you're trying to just get on the field and see the field. Um, and that's kind of why, I, you know, really worked hard at it my freshman year and made that transition. When did you start to believe that you could be a big leaguer? I know it's always a dream, but when did you all of a sudden, did it take professional ball and a ball double a, did it take just getting drafted high? You know, I think, there were different moments throughout my life that you kind of realize, Hey, maybe I have a shot at becoming that one guy out of this area that could be, you know, that has a chance. I think the first moment was actually in little league. Um, there were a couple of big leaders, you know, older than me that I watched on TV when I was in little league. And one of them, uh, it's a funny story, but uh, the commissioner of the league and my dad were pretty good friends. And he was telling me how, you know, his name was Chris Berg, played for the Astros for a while, famous for that walk-off in the, uh, for the Astros against the Yankees. But, uh, you know, he hit a ball over ice on one of the fields. And, you know, one, one day I did the same. And I was kind of like, oh, man, maybe the big leader did it and I did it. Who knows? You know, yeah. It's your 12-year-old kid's head. 
Um, you have more evidence than I did because I just said, I just look for guys that were born on September 16th. I'm like, Oh, they have that birthday. I'm, oh, I did that. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, in high school, I had pro scouts looking at me, nothing too crazy, nothing too serious. Uh, knew I was going to go to college. Um, then, you know, you show up in college and yeah, you see, you got the talent to do it. It's just a matter of me challenging myself to work hard enough and uh, earn that chance to be drafted. We joked the other day on the broadcast, Will, that Zach Gallon, I think it was Zach Gallon is facing you. He complained about a borderline pitch that was called ball four. You got first base and we joked, hey, Zach, check out his fan graphs page, bro. If he didn't swing at it, it's not a strike. Yep. <laughs> Do you check your uh, own fan graphs page? Do you look at that stuff? No, no. I try to stay away from that stuff. Are there numbers on the offensive side that you do look at? Um, not regularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I check walk percentage, strikeout percentage, um, hard hit, hard hit percentage. You know, am I chasing? Am I not? You know, my my whole thing is just trying to stick to my approach for that at bat and not throw at bats away. Um, you know, I'm I'm more mad if I come out of my approach and chase a pitch or you know, swing at a pitch that I was trying to lay off of um, instead of, you know, if I swing at what I get and that, or what I'm trying to swing at and I get out, I'm not really too mad about that because I stuck with what I can control. Um, and that's kind of how I try to go about it. And, you know, it's been helping me this year a lot. Those numbers you mentioned, strikeout rate, way down, walk rate, way up, hard hit rate, way up. Are we seeing somebody who's just more comfortable and that he got his feet wet last year? Because it looks like when you look at those numbers, we're seeing somebody who has completely altered their hitting philosophy. So where do you lie in that spectrum? Um, I think, yeah, I think last year definitely played into it. You know, I early I got a glimpse of what I could do um, and how I could succeed at the big league level. And then I also got a taste of, you know, this is a really hard game and you really got to work at it. And uh yeah, so I went into the offseason, you know, hungry, humbled, um, and ready to get to work. And, you know, made some changes, made some mental changes, physical changes especially. Um, just be a little more consistent at the plate. And, uh, and, yeah, they're kind of showing this year so far. Did you put on weight? No, not really. What were the physical changes then mechanically in your swing, you're saying? Swing mechanics, just cleaning up some things. Um, you know, really just kind of learning how my body moves. Um, you know, if you start in a certain position, you're going to end in a certain position. So if I start in, if my hips are a little bit out of the line, they're going to be even more out of line when I stride or, you know, where my hands start kind of depends on where they end up and how they're moving. And, uh, you know, just kind of little things you have to tweak and fine tune, um, that I was able to do with the help of, you know, Rob Brownie and then guys like JT even, um, were helping me out. Do you find that your learning curve is a little faster maybe than somebody else that didn't play golf at a serious level? Because that's very golf-like. Maybe a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I have a pretty good feel of my body and where it's at. And, uh, you know, if someone, if Rob tells me, hey, uh, you know, try this one little tweak or this one little thought, I can feel it and kind of translate it pretty quickly as opposed to some guys – that it takes, you know, 50 swings to feel that instead of me, it's, you know, just a couple, which, um, you know, helps making a change because it comes quicker. You mentioned the physical change and then a little bit of a mental change. Those plate discipline numbers, it's not that they were bad, but they were average. They're all elite now. 
So compare the mental approach as a rookie, and I guess coming up through the minors, to whatever it is right now. Yeah, it's it's more consistent now, I would say. Um, and I really have a better plan for all of my at-bats now. Um, you know, it, it helps, too, knowing what the pitcher's ball does, how his fastball plays, does it play up, does it ride, does it sink, does it run, cut. Um, and that kind of all plays into it. So I think that gives you a little more confidence knowing, hey, this is a sinker ball pitcher. Um, think a little more under the ball, get the ball in the air to kind of get that line drive result. So there's a lot of different feels and thoughts that help turn in the result to be that consistent um, result, I guess, if that makes sense. But, uh, you know, it's just. Is that a description of how the game slows down for younger players? Yes, I would say so. You know, last year, I think when it was going bad, it was, you know, I stepped in the box. I'm worrying about, I'm still worrying about what pitches I called in the inning before for the pitcher. And then now I'm facing 95, 96. And it's, oh crap, what does this fastball do again? Where should I look? What should my approach? Should I hit it opposite field, pull it? Um, instead of, you know, take, taking a quick breath, slowing the game down, um, just keeping it simple. Yeah. Enough about the offense. Catchers like to talk about the other side of the game. What is the single nastiest pitch you've ever caught? <laughs> oh, man. Um, I don't know. I mean, Gratterall's looked really good this year. Throwing some nasty sinkers with a nasty slider. Um, you know, you think of Bueller's slider when it's, you know, breaking eight feet sideways somehow. <laughs> um, trying and sinker is, I don't get how he throws a 99 mile an hour sinker that moves that much. Looks like a screwball or, a, or like a power changeup, but it's 99. Yeah, it's like a 99 mile hour splitter almost. Yeah. Well, what happens when he throws it and it only drops six inches, but then another one drops a foot and a half? Like, uh, it hurts my hand sometimes. Yeah, your thumb. Just, <laughs> do you wear the thumb guard? Oh, yeah, have to. You have yeah. to. Who's the hardest guy to catch? Maybe that's the answer. Maybe it's trying in. Probably D May. Oh, yeah? Um, just because, you know, he's kind of wild in zone. He fills it up, but, you know, I could set up in and it's away or, you know, set up away sometimes it's in, but it's, again, 100 mile an hour sinkers and then 94 mile an hour cutters that are going the exact opposite way. And when you when you're trying to frame those pitches, if you misread them at all, you're you are going to get your hand carved up, and you're going to look like you don't know how to catch almost for one pitch. Oh yeah, that's going to happen. How would you describe your bedside manner during mound visits? Um, I don't know. I try to be calm, you know, just kind of read the situation. Um, just be calm, you know, just kind of. Get him to take a breath, kind of relax. Um, Any jokes? Uh, not really. Sometimes, <laughs> like, um, you'd be the straight man in a car. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say this yeah. is so on brand, Will. <laughs> Just playing it straight. I don't got any good jokes. <laughs> in that time, I can't come up with them in that fifty-foot walk. No. Uh, we're we're in the middle of the Padres series here. Do you sense any? Uh, dislike any palpable dislike growing between the teams or is there more made of that on the outside than it actually feels when you're in it um you know they're they're a loud team they're cheering cheering hard in the dugout they're 
you know, the whole unwritten rules of baseball thing that's going on this year with them. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think they bug our guys too much, but it's definitely, you know, it's, it's a competitive environment. And when competitive juices are flowing, yeah, when things don't go your way, you're going to be upset about it. And, uh, or when things go your way, you're going to be fired up about it too. So I don't think there's any like, you know, hatred towards those guys. We respect them. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's just, it's competition. We're competing against them. We want to beat them every single night and they want to do the same to us. So that's, it's going to happen. Sometimes that cheering can be a stimulus though. You know, it can fire you up on the other side going, Oh, they got some passion. You know, we got to show ours or something. Shut them up. Yeah. Yeah. Like Grisham's home run, the little pose there. I was like, Oh man, if I was playing, Yeah. (laughs) where do you stand on that? you don't even have to, you don't have to go into Grisham's in particular, but on letting the kids play and showing emotion versus the old school style of not disrespecting anybody by showing those emotions. No, I'm, I'm all for it. Um, you know, I think you can show your emotions. I think there's not a single problem swinging three Oh ever. Uh, I mean, you maybe don't steal a base or something when you're up eight, nothing in the eighth. That's, yeah. kind, of, that's kind of pointless, you know, four or five run game. Yes. Yeah, steal the base. Um, it's baseball. Anything can happen. And, you know, if you're playing harder than the other competitor, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. We, uh, when we had Dustin May on a couple of weeks ago, Will, he talked about trying to land some endorsements for his hair, you know, whether that was shampoo or hair care <laughs> products. You got anything uh, in the works, anything brewing as far as endorsements? And if not, what would you be good at endorsing? Um, I don't know. Probably someone. Um, I'm, going going with milk. I'm going with milk. Milk. Why, why milk? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> land or something? Just straight. Vanilla. I did a milk ad, so I'm not ripping on you. <laughs> JT's AMPM ad. Yeah. Uh, what's that? That troll or something? Right. Oh yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't be as good in that role. I think he's the he's the perfect one for it. What about like you do some grilling, right? Yeah, I like to cook. Um, yeah, I could do a little cooking commercial or something grilled. Yeah. What's your best recipe? If, if you know you're having you're having me and Oral over for dinner, what are you cooking? Man. Well, you're getting steak, Joe, and I'm getting hamburger because of the milk comment. <laughs> Might get a nice uh, charred patty or something. <laughs> well, we appreciate you spending some time. It's been a lot of fun watching you. And, uh, man, only a couple weeks left in the regular season here, but we, we can't wait to see where the rest of this 2020 season goes. Yeah, me too. A couple weeks. Heard the bubble stuff came out today. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It'll be fun last week or two and uh, get ready for postseason. Well, good luck, man. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Will. Thanks, Will. Manager Dave Roberts joins us as always and starts us off with the best thing he saw this week. The best thing I saw this week, um, gosh, this was this was a tough week. You know, um, I, I think the best thing I saw this week is my daughter getting her driver's license. I went kind of uh, off script as far as the baseball thing. It's been a, a grind of a week. So I'm going to go to family and my daughter. Uh, we got her a Volvo, a little, uh, you know, small SUV and getting her license. Uh, I'm just thrilled about. How was, uh, how was the lead up to that? Was she, she pretty good or were some scary moments? Yeah, the lead up was actually very good. So I taught my son Cole and my daughter both to drive and, 
unfortunately, I think he drives a little like his father and my daughter <laughs> uh, more careful. And it started in the, in the big parking lot on the window uh, on the weekends. And she's just very confident, very comfortable driver. So she's got her own little, uh, black, uh, small, safe SUV, and I think she named it too, so it, it's pretty wow. exciting. <laughs> so is it happy birthday then, Emmy? she have a birthday? Yeah, it, it's yes, happy birthday, Emmy, that's right. All right. Oral, how about you? Uh, Dave went family, I'll go family. Uh, Dana made the best lasagna this week, Ooh. and seeing the lasagna come out of the oven and in the background, a nice bottle of Brunello, it was a really good meal. It was a lot of fun to just enjoy her lasagna and... Uh, She's got some secret ingredients in there that really make it good. So someday you guys are going to have to have some. So is, is it beef? Is it what what kind of lasagna? Is it she, she Yeah, she does the ground beef, and then she degreases it with water, and and then she uses actually uses cottage cheese and Velveeta cheese, which makes huh. it really creamy. Even better. <laughs> so yeah, there's some good ingredients in there. I'm going to go food related as well. New show on Netflix. Not a new show, but a new series of it. Chef's Table, where they feature different chefs from around the world. And the new series on Chef's Table is Chef's Table Barbecue. So like my favorite things, right? Food and then specifically these barbecue, these smoke masters. And uh, we watched first couple episodes of it. One on a lady named Tootsie from Texas who is in her 80s. And she's this uh, famous pit master. And it's a 45-minute just kind of documentary on her life and how she got to where she is and how she does what she does. And then the other episode we watch is about a guy in Australia who cooks everything over open fire, everything from uh, caviar to pastries to the normal stuff you cook over fire, you know, steaks and things like that, and just learning about his process and seeing how it's done over uh, other parts of the world. So when you get a chance, Chef's Table Barbecue on Netflix. Okay, I like it. I'm writing it down right now. Uh, let's see, this is Tuesday. We're recording this a little bit early this week. This will come out Thursday morning, but we're in the middle of the San Diego Padres series, and we're less than 24 hours removed from Trent Grisham's home run, where uh, he celebrated it a little bit, posed a little bit afterwards. Given a few hours of distance from it, Doc, what's your take on that whole thing? Well, you know what? I, I think that, first of all, and you guys know, I am all about celebrating and the game is evolving. I absolutely get that. Um, but I just felt that I, I guess maybe I'm a little bit more sensitive to Clayton and, and what he's done in the game. And I think it's not a respecting the game situation. It's more respecting the player. And uh, so it's a big hit. It's a big homer. I, I understand that. But I think just kind of admiring it like he did. Um, I just so I just yelled run. And uh, as he came around the bases and to kind of look into the dugout and I guess later give the bird to the dugout. It's just like. I just thought that was just over the top, but you know, that's baseball. So obviously there's no ill will. It just kind of in the moment you're, you're competing. So that's just kind of how I felt. You've got to let that stuff kind of fire you up too, as a team, you know, it's like, I I was like kind of excited for the Dodger bench and for you, because it's like, maybe that'll light a fire under you guys. And all of a sudden make this a little bit more personal than the Dodgers have been dominant the whole year. Yeah. They've slipped a bit, a little bit lately, but You'd like to have that last bit of fire as you go into these last 12 games. Yeah, and, and I think that, you know, every game, you know, and, and certainly things like that do kind of prompt emotion and, as you said, make it personal. But I just love to live in the world where it's always personal. You've got to find that chip, um, whether you're in the batter's box or you're competing against a team, whether it's in April or in September, it's personal. It has to be because um, I always kind of challenge our guys that, 
physically after a game, you shouldn't be tired. It should be more mentally, you know, playing three hours and playing 27 pitches, three, seeing 127 outs, um, you know, 100, 300 pitches in a game. Mm-hmm. I'd be mentally exhausted every, every game and then have the capacity to do it again the next night. You mentioned uh, when we started this hasn't been a great week of baseball for the Dodgers. Hasn't been as sharp as we saw for much of the season. Is this, uh, you know, the fact that it is weighing on us a little bit, is it a result of the 60-game schedule, whereas in a normal season it's just a, a week that a team goes through? Or what do you, what's kind of your perspective on what is right now this 3-5 and five stretch? I think it's it's more that. Um, yeah. I, I think to expect a team to go out there and play 800 baseball um, and to play at the clip pretty unrealistic um and even just kind of the way you go out and play really you know great perfect baseball throughout the season even if it's 60 games or 162 so it's kind of a little lull and i will say in arizona that's a hard place to play in general um and not to make excuses but without the fans there it just really a downer of a place um so no excuses i thought we came back in houston and, and played good baseball for 17 innings um, and then last night for the first six innings, I thought we were great. It was a great pitcher's duel. It was fun to watch, fun to be a part of. Um, and we had a bad inning. So tonight we got Davies, and, and uh, we'll see how it goes. And you'll know once this airs how it ended up. But I still expect to win a series. Where are you at on Kenley Jansen? So, you know, Kenley, um, I still have a lot of confidence in him. And I think that you look at the body of work, it's been really good. I think if you look at the last three of five, not so good. Um, so certainly the recency um, is what matters and what people talk about. But uh, my message to Kenley is, you know, you're going to have four appearances left till we get to the postseason. So, you know, whether it's crowd, no crowd, save situation, non-save situation, you've got to bring it every pitch and pitch with that sense of urgency. Yeah, you you know, we've heard you before talk about hitters that are in slumps or and then you come back in your post-game interviews and you'll talk about like, but I like the quality of the at-bats. You know, I like the approach. They didn't throw anything away. You know, I know they didn't hit it hard. I know they struck out, but I like the approach. Is there parts of Kenley's game that you can say, I'm liking the approach, but there's other parts where you go, I, I think he needs to upgrade that? Yeah, that, that's a very fair question. I, I think for me, Oral, I don't like the pitcher who – is saving something in the tank. And I say that where the, with respect to velocity, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to throw 90. I want 90 every pitch. I don't want 90. And then you start to get stressed and then here comes 92, 93. And I think there's been times with Kenley where it's 89. And then when it starts to get hot, then he gets into the 92, 93. So I think that that's in there. And if that's in there, then I want to see that because I think that with him and you're talking about going through a postseason. To expect him to take 25 pitches to get through an inning, is uh, that's not him. And that doesn't make sense as far as going back-to-back or two out of three or three out of four. So when you're, you know, throwing with conviction every pitch and making pitches, you know, the 10 to 12 in outing, that's the way it should be for him. Yeah, that's not specific to Kenley either because you've gone through that with other pitchers. You've done that with Maeda, with Ryu, with Urias. So this is not like picking on Kenley. This is just something right now that you see, and you've called it out on other pitchers. Yeah, and I've done the same thing with Gonsolin and May. But if you look around the league, the guys that are the best pitchers year in and year out, Scherzer, DeGrom, Kershaw, Bueller, these guys empty it um, from pitch one. 
And because of their work in between starts or for a relief pitcher in between appearances, they can sustain it. And you bet on your work and you for not for fear that it's not going to be there at pitch 90. We had Will Smith as our guest this week. Uh, obviously, early on, a lot of bad luck. But you're talking about, you know, seeing with the hitter some underlying numbers where you tell them to stick with what you're doing. And it seems like with him, that was certainly the case. Did you have those conversations early on with Will where you brought him the information and said, look, man, it's just not falling in for you. Everything you're doing is right. Because we're now seeing he's one of the best hitters in the National League so far this year. Yeah, we, we had that conversation and our hitting guys do a great job of uh, deploying that information as well. And the thing is that you got to give Will credit because you know, you can present a player with all that information of what's expected, slug, and all that kind of stuff, but what's expected and what's on that scoreboard are two different things. Um, but to have the head to understand that I got to continue to do what I'm doing and it'll balance itself out, that's a separator. And that's what Will has where I know at times, even when I played, it's like, you know, you're hitting the ball hard and the challenge is to continue to do that and not change what you're doing to then go into a real slump. Um, but that's all credit to hitting guys and to Will. Did you see this, like, I don't know I don't know if anybody saw it coming, but did you think that this plate discipline elite level was in there with Will? Not like this. This is crazy. And, it's still, and I say not, and not in a bad way, because I feel, still think he's a young player who didn't have a lot of major league at-bats, and still, still doesn't have a lot of major league at-bats. But um, the swing change that he had a couple years ago, the more Justin Turner-ish, um, but to look over the baseball like he is and the power to right center field, um, it, it's been next level. He's hitting righties better than he is lefties. Uh, so obviously there's no fear of the baseball. Um, so it's been a quick ascension and very consistent for me. And I love the way he's learning to control the staff. He's doing a nice job with the staff. I know there's still some growth there, but, you know, throwing runners out, he doesn't seem to get meltdown in the pressure situations. He's commanding the game. No, he is. And, you know, the mound visits all that you're really in tune with, that he does it at the right time now, um, the targeting, the uh, the catching the low ball, the, the catching and throwing, all that stuff, being in sequence, really starting to understand the hitters. Because, you know, we, you know, we as most teams, use a wristband uh, as far as hitters' weaknesses. Um, but you also have to watch the game and understand the situation where Will's starting to get a much better um, understanding of that. He's an old soul, isn't he? He really is. He's an old soul. He's very simple. And, and I say old soul, and it's just more of just appreciating the game, the people that came before you. Uh, there's no self-promotion. He's very uh, oral Hershiser in, 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 as far as vanilla. Um, and I love that. It's just very simple what he does, and he doesn't get too high, too low. But he's dependable. And I think for me as a manager, as a fan, it's fun, you know. It's fun to go on a ride with certain players that go up and down the emotional roller coaster. I get it, but for a manager in my chair, I like consistency, and Will certainly gives you that. It's funny you brought up Vanilla. We asked him what he would be good at endorsing because Dustin May said he's trying to get a hair product endorsement. Uh, no ice cream. Well, oral Oral volunteered for him. Old I milk. think you'd be good. Milk, exactly, Dave. Yeah. See? There you go. <laughs> we got the same read. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> uh, postseason schedule came out this week, and not insignificant the way it's structured with no off days until the World Series. Um, I mean, between series, but within the division series, within the championship series. Right. Yeah, you know, I actually like the two days off um, after the uh, for the National League after mm-hmm. 
I like the three games in a row for the wild card series. And I really do like the two games to allow for the reset. And, um, you know, you're going to play five games in the division series. So to play five in a row, to have your starter set one, two, three, four, five, it does give the best team a better chance to win a five game series. Cause now when it's a two a day off and then another two or three, then you can kind of reset things. This gives a clear opportunity for the best team to win that series. And I think it goes forward in the uh, CS as well. Well, Skipper, let's move on to uh, our top four this week. And we decided to do the top four hotel amenities. And uh, what was your number four, Skipper? So my number four, I, I drink a lot of water, um, but I love sparkling water. So uh, when I get the sparkling mineral water, I am all in, and that's a good starter for me. So if I can get the mineral water in that, and I know that sounds very bougie, but uh, it, it's what I like, Laurel. So um, what's your number four? My number four, uh, believe it or not, is all the little things like the uh, the toiletries, the nail file, the shampoos, the soaps, the cotton balls, the Q-tips, because I collect them every day. <laughs> every day and i put them in the dry cleaning bag in the plastic dry cleaning bag and i take them home now stop laughing because here's the good part and dana used to work in a school district that was very tough there's tough neighborhoods and she would make little gift baskets for all the kids in her class around the school that struggled to to have you know soap and shampoo and toothpaste at home so we would use it all for a good cause and dana would take it in the school and, dis- and distribute it and the kids absolutely loved it Okay. You're a good man. Early and then now you had me back. So yes. I'm- <laughs> now here's the thing though. Dana's not been a teacher for like a decade and you're still hoarding those? Well, this, there's two other reasons then. We, we are fortunate enough to have people come and clean our house and those people enjoy that stuff. So we love giving it to them. And then the other thing is you fill your uh, guest bathroom with that kind of stuff. So when your guests come, they can have a brand new toothbrush if they forget or some shampoo if they forget or all that. That's, that's, I like that actually. I love that. Very, very good. Joe, what's your uh, number four? Well, I think this is probably going to be on both your guys' lists, but a little bit higher. For me, it's a good hotel bar, where if you want that option, <laughs> get home from the ballpark late to have a nice cocktail to finish. I like, you know, kind of a darker look, maybe some some wood, some oak. Yeah, old school speakeasy style. Yeah. That's, a, you know what, I, I went to, in New York, Grand Central Station. Oh, yeah. Uh, one of my good buddies turned me on to this bar. Uh, sort of a speakeasy situation in Grand Central Station. And Up one on the second there, floor on the street yeah, level. Yes, we've been, been there. I grease them with like a, a 20 and then you're in there and it's like this old school, dark, narrow bar. It was the coolest thing because one moment I see all these people and next moment I'm just like transported into, into the into time and it was very cool. Rick yeah. Krajewski, our producer and I, uh, stumbled in there one night. Is, is awesome. There are a bunch of places like that throughout Manhattan that are yeah. really cool to check out. Uh, what's your number three, Doc? Uh, my number three is, um, speaking of drinks, cocktails, I, I want wine glasses um, because typically I bring my own wine. Um, and so for me to have some wine glasses in the room um, to enjoy my red wine, um, it puts me in a good place after a major league Dodger win. That a baby. My number three is uh, great sheets, the heavenly bed. If, if the bed is good and we have time changes that we have to deal with, or we get in at three, four in the morning sometimes, you just don't want to get into a bed that doesn't feel comfortable and you can't go right to sleep. Yeah, I'm 
good bet is number three for me too, but I'm not going to go as far as to say the Weston Heavenly bet because I think that can be too <laughs> soft and it okay. messes up my back. So I've right. got to find that sweet spot and firmness. What's your number two, Doc? Well, my number two uh, on to dovetail that is the firm mattress and the sheets um, because I think that uh, I don't want to throw the Weston under the bus, but I, I like a more firm mattress. And uh, so with nice, high-quality thread count sheets, I'm all in and God, as I say this, man, I am so dang bougie, and I'm kind of embarrassed that <laughs> I'm saying this, but I, I guess I, I like uh, nice things, so um, that's my number two. My number two is, uh, it's a combo, and it's a, the, the great coffee bar and the great mini bar, and you know, sometimes they do a whole layout with some snacks even there, or some, like some baked chips, or something you can do, and when, sometimes I don't have time for a whole room service, sometimes I want a little after dinner drink just to go to bed, and it's nice to have it right there in your room, and not have to call room service. I know you're not drinking coffee anymore, but a lot of places have the little bullet espresso machines. Yeah. You ever hit those up in the room? I, yeah. Yeah. My number two is a, a hotel restaurant that has a really good breakfast. Not just a, a restaurant that has any breakfast, but one where you go down there and you're like, you can look forward to it each day. See, that's good. I, I love that. And my number one is room service. So I know you and Oral like to get down and have your breakfast. And I see you when I'm coming in from the ballpark, going to the elevator. I see you guys in the bar having your nightcap. I'm more about field, hotel, hotel, field. So I do the room service and I like my oatmeal, eggs over medium, my bacon, a little wheat toast and a pot of coffee. So when I get good um, steel cut oatmeal or a good room service menu, um, I'm in. So that's me um, at about 10 o'clock every morning. Two eggs and $80 later and you've got it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to put it on, uh, I'm going to put it on Stan Caston in the Dodge. Deal. Fair. <laughs> Oral, what's your number one? Give me that room number, Doc. My number one, <laughs> my number one is the good hotel bar. And it's not specifically for drinking as much as it is. We're family on the road. And so when you're in your room, you're pretty much by yourself. And very rarely do you go to somebody else's room to socialize. You just kind of hang out in the lobby slash bar. And the nicer it is, the longer people stay and the more people show up. And you really get connected with the organization and your friends and everything. So I think that hotel bar is really, really important for team chemistry and for organization chemistry. And since we're spending a lot of time there, my number one is a good hotel gym to go play for the tie-in. <laughs> right? We're going to get the good breakfast and the late-night drinks. Got to go work it off. Yeah, the one in Denver, I, I, I recall seeing you there. You, you're a big fan of that one. I remember yeah. seeing Nomar there quite often. Nomar is a good reminder that I can't quit working out because that dude, I, he gets better every time I see him. He gets like in better shape every time. <laughs> Sports Illustrated cover, he still looks like he... Uh, I know for the Red Sox. I know. Uh, man, two weeks left. Two weeks left in this regular season. Less than that. It's going to be about a week and a half when people download this podcast. Yeah, it's uh, it's come quick. Um, it, it's, uh, it's you know, we're going to look back on this year, and there's going to be so many different uh, headlines, footnotes. Um, but, you know, as we get to the postseason, um, it's going to be different. But it's still, it's still pretty exciting. It's going to be fun. And, um to, gosh, to see the Marlins still in it, to see, you know, all these other teams that you wouldn't expect to be in it. I, I just think it's great for the game. It's going to be a fun finish. Skipper, how do you massage the message between 
you know, for so long we're talking about protection of a pitching staff, protection of the bullpen, watching your reps as a hitter, and now that's kind of the long-term plan. How do you balance that and massage that with present tense, guys, is now the most important thing? Yeah, that's a, that's a, there's a balancing act. You know, you're trying to sort of thread the needle because you – and it's more apparent in the long season where we're playing 162 and you're trying to go play another month of baseball where it's 60 games, but it's still uh, relative to 60 games. So the workload still has to be relative to what your, your, your pitching guys or running guys out there. But I think that as we get ready for this Colorado series, Denver's a tough place to play. So I think I will, I will manage guys there um, because the altitude and coming out of there. Um, but then after that, we've got six games to play, I think, something like that. And so it's going to be a lot of similar what you're going to see, what we're going to see out of the postseason. Um, and also I feel good because we're going to have two days of, of, uh, of a break after the regular season. So I think once we get through that Colorado series, we'll still have six games to like really, really get in that playoff mindset. Three with Oakland, three with Anaheim, and that's it. Next time we talk, it'll be the last regular season podcast thanks doc all right boys thank you so much thanks so much skip really good question in the mailbag this week or we actually had two people submit it leslie stevenson and tony wolf asked similar questions if you're introducing somebody to baseball why should they become a dodger fan wow um there's some really deep answers there for me and then there's some really pretty shallow answers i guess I think the deepest answer would be the historic significance of the Dodger organization uh, with the breaking of the color barrier with Jackie Robinson. Uh, That would be one for sure. Um, The other one would be the most beautiful and iconic stadium. Um, It'd be in the top five. Um, The beautiful uniform, um, the pride I have in the organization. And so that if you were a fan of this organization, I think that, uh, you would not be embarrassed in any way by this organization. They would always make you proud. And, uh, of course, the winning tradition. Yeah, I think the for me the easy one is the winning. Seven straight division titles. And mm-hmm. been breaking your heart for, for 30 years at the end, but a lot of winning and a lot of fun days during the regular season. And obviously everybody hopes they solve those October issues. And then, like you mentioned, the stadium. I think such a big part of baseball is the aesthetics of it. And if you're going to be watching your team on TV, if you're picking from the 30 teams and you're going to be watching them 80 sometimes a year at that ballpark, you want it to be just pleasing to look at. And there is no more pleasing sight than Dodger Stadium, both when you're watching on TV and if you're lucky enough to go to a game and you get to look out over the San Gabriels yourself. Yeah, that was what I was going to say. Excuse me. I was going to say about the uh, sitting next to all the other fans. We lead baseball and fan attendance and mm-hmm. what's more exciting in a sporting event when everybody's there yeah yeah you know, the the 50 some thousand and i always marvel at the fact that it's 50 some thousand on the most random day of the summer it can be a tuesday against the last place team and you're not going to be shocked if it's packed and it's rocking and it's literally shaking there aren't too many places you can go in baseball where you can count on an environment like that pretty much every night you can get all that excitement and a bobblehead yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of times you get to take that home too. So, yep. boy, but we could, we could have a whole episode answering that question. I think for sure. Yeah. What are you most looking forward to in the week ahead? Actually, let me answer first, so you don't <laughs> have to 
<laughs> be that guy. Oh, yeah. The birthday. Yeah. The birthday is Wednesday the 16th. Turning so this 16th. is going to... We're recording this on uh, Tuesday because yeah. Wednesday, the baseball gods must love Oral Hershiser, right? One o'clock game for the Dodgers, which opens up Wednesday night for Oral to go have a little birthday dinner. And I'm most looking forward to getting together to celebrate the birthday, which we've done every year since we've been together. Yeah, it's, it'll be fun. It'll be an, a nice little group. So, yeah, it's very family, family-esque, and, and you're there for sure. Is that is that your answer too? You don't have to be humble uh, about yeah, it. Of course, pretty much, pretty much is my to. answer too. Uh, it, and also because my son Jordan is born on September fifteenth, so it's almost a combination celebration all the time when we get together with them. And, and definitely, he'll be at his party and my party, and so we're going to have a lot of fun. Within the dinner, what I'm most looking forward to is the part where <laughs> you get it all backwards. And you toast everybody else. It's not supposed to be like that. You're supposed oh. to go around the table and everybody toast the birthday boy. But no, no, not uh-huh. oral. Because I don't like compliments like that. So I just they cut do. it off at the pass. Yeah, and yeah. go around the table. And <laughs> you get a toast and you get a toast and you get a toast. Thank you. Can't for wait for that. Thank you for coming. Love you, birthday boy. All right, you too, pal.